Hi, this is Dan Sullivan, and I'd like to welcome you to the Free Zone Frontier with Steve Krang. Excellent. Thanks, Dan. And I'm excited that Brett Kaufman is going to be joining us for today's podcast episode. By way of background, again, Startup Health has, um, for the last now 10 years, been investing in supporting entrepreneurs all over the world. We're building a global army of committed entrepreneurs working on what we call health moonshots, seemingly impossible goals like ending cancer, curing disease, and bringing access to care to everyone in the world. And we've got a very unique model in that we don't just invest in the entrepreneurs. We actually support them through a coaching program, a community of like-minded entrepreneurs who are working and are as ambitious as they are towards these really ambitious goals. We have both, you know, been incredibly dedicated to doing whatever we can to remove the friction that comes up in front of entrepreneurs as they build their companies. Mm -hmm. And so we have 300 and I think it's 65 investments in 26 different countries. We've learned a lot over the past 10 years. And most importantly, in a pre-COVID world, getting an industry as large as healthcare to change is incredibly difficult because the money flows and the processes flow and lots of things, regulatory flow for so many decades until something like COVID happens and it flips everything upside down. And so for a lot of the entrepreneurs building and working on companies in healthcare, COVID was a incredibly timely moment and opportunity to digitize the experience and make their solutions almost lifelines for mm -hmm. delivering care in a pandemic world where you weren't able to do in-person visits and you weren't able to do a lot of the things that we had grown accustomed to doing. Yeah. Just a reflection yourself, Steve, and also Brett, if we could talk about uh, the shift among entrepreneurs who really used COVID as an opportunity. In other words, it wasn't bad news. It was an entirely new form of good news for them to transform their organizations, transform how they were communicating in the marketplace, how they were innovating in the marketplace. Brett, what about you? Yeah, I think, you know, to the first part of that, and thank you both for having me today. It's great to be with you. It's been a great year for a lot of entrepreneurs and people in the strategic coach community that were prepared mentally to, you know, have the tools to thrive at a time like this. I actually just was recently asked to give a speech on leading during crisis and you know, really what I talked about is learning how to lead yourself when you're not in crisis so that when crisis comes around, you don't really have to do anything different, mm -hmm. you know? And, and I think that's, you know, really a lot of the great learning that I've had in coach and in other aspects of my growth that, you know, these are times where you can really flourish if you're prepared, mm -hmm. you know, if you know kind of how to be creative and innovative and partner and collaborate and so on. So, mm -hmm. you know, for us, it's been a great year. It's interesting to hear Steve talk about the fund and his approach and kind of, you know, how they're using, you know, the subscription model and the democratization piece. Because for us, We've really leaned into that over the last year as well on the real estate standpoint. So we build what we call conscious communities. They're communities that are really based on making humanity better in all kinds of ways. It's events, it's programs, it's similar to Steve in that we provide coaching and we provide opportunities to invest and collaborate 
and so on. But, you know, we did learn how to pivot and utilize crowdfunding as an example in the kind of democratization piece. During COVID, we raised over $40 million for a second phase of a project. About half of that ended up being crowdfunded. Minimum checks were $35,000. And we're now building on that to get it all the way down to $100 as a minimum check and really give everybody an opportunity Mm -hmm. to own real estate. And this is, you know, just one of the great things that's kind of come out of this, this time. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's interesting because we're running parallel paths here on the democratization. You know, for 10 years, we've been trying to help entrepreneurs navigate the incredibly lonely and difficult waters of building innovative companies in an industry which wasn't embracing innovation very easily, as I mentioned. But now this idea of making it easy for investors to back those entrepreneurs especially during COVID, has become kind of the focus of the other side of the equation, like you just described. And we're doing the exact same thing. We're bringing the price of admission, so to speak, down to make it accessible for everyday accredited investors, which could be, in many cases, doctors and patients who are passionate about healthcare and health innovation and want to see something happening faster to be able to invest. And this idea, I think, of crowdfunding and what we're doing around the rolling fund that we launched just April 1st with AngelList, which has enabled us to kind of offer a quarterly subscription for investors to back health innovation for as little as $25,000. We actually are experimenting with for doctors as little as $5,000 and learning just about the kind of dialogue you start to have with investors and entrepreneurs who want to really work together. And I think I'm assuming Brett, from your standpoint, with real estate investors who perhaps never done real estate investing before, with projects like you discussed, what are you finding to be the biggest shift in mindset that both parties have in that kind of dialogue? Yeah. So what we're really seeing is that an investor, and you spoke about accredited versus non-accredited, you know, for the way we're looking at investors and this is kind of like, you know, Dan's language, it's everybody, like everybody can be an investor and Mm -hmm. there's different ways to invest. Some people are invested in things monetarily. Some people are invested in things with their time. Some people are invested in things because they feel a sense of belonging. And so we're actually trying to provide value to people where they live and where they work. And we're trying to then get them invested right? In a lot of different ways. And if they're monetarily invested, or if they actually own a piece of this, then what else are they more likely to do by being a part of it? Mm -hmm. They're more likely to get involved in creating events. They're more likely to be involved in governance. They're more likely to be involved in bringing a friend or bringing a company. And so that's kind of, you know, how we're looking at investment is really, you know, getting everybody to provide value. And then, you know, the other piece of it is by democratizing it and really giving it over to the people to own, we let the people then determine what the value is of certain things. The current economic system only 
utilizes appraisals. This is a real estate business, but it's appraisals, it's banking, it's legal, it's your comparables, there's a formula. It's all based on an economic formula. What's the bottom line? What's your market capitalization? Where are interest rates, right? It doesn't take into account any of the emotional aspects, any of the brand aspects, any of the other things that human beings actually value. And so by democratizing it, we can actually unlock all of that intrinsic value that the current system doesn't. Yeah, it's very interesting what Brett just said, Steve, because I remember, you know, 18 months ago, maybe it was two years ago, we were talking, you know, in the framework of startup health. I wonder if we could get a billion dollar check, you know, (laughs) you know, a billion dollar check. And my sense is, based on the way the world was going, that was a very strategic focus. I mean, there are people who write billion-dollar checks. But my sense is that two things have happened in the last year and a quarter. And one is that a lot of people who would be really interested in what you're doing, really interested in what Brett is doing, have gotten a sense of community simply because they were locked down, that there's been a lot of reevaluating you know, what do they really like to do with their lifestyle? What do they really like to do? If they didn't travel, where would they really like to live? And so you had that reevaluation, but you also had a technological shift. And I think the two go together. I think humans humanize things to the degree that they have the capability. The AngelList platform that you talk about Steve, is very resonant with what I see happening in the blockchain world. So, Mm -hmm. you know, what Brett's talking about, the way the gatekeepers of the real estate world only had quantitative numbers. They didn't have qualitative standards. They didn't have qualitative goals. They had quantitative goals. But I think that the technological revolution, especially the blockchain, kind of indicates that you can have a billion people involved, you know. Yeah. And, and it's a lot more interesting. It's a lot more it's interesting, a lot more and they take it personally. Yeah. You know, it, yeah. it's yeah. actually part of who they are on the planet. And I think that we've only seen the beginning of that over the last year. Yeah. Well, and you can still get your billion dollar check. It's just going to come in a different format, right? I mean, because you've got all of these people, you've created something at the end, you know, there could be a billion dollar check there. It's just not going to come from an individual investor. Brad, a question. Steve is all over the world. You know, he's got 26 different countries involved and we're up to right now with our new virtual workshop. We've had roughly 200 who've come into the virtual only program from 30 different countries. We had one workshop, we had 20 different countries in one workshop. It was about 40 people and they came from 20 different countries. What are you seeing now because of the way you're approaching it? I mean, you're in Columbus, Ohio, and you you can think of Ohio and the three or four states around that, but are you finding that you're interested parties are coming from much further afield now. Yeah, very much so because what's happened, especially during the pandemic, is people are seeing the nicety of Columbus and the Midwest as a place to live, as a place to start a company, and as a place to invest. So, you know, if you're trying to find returns, it's not easy to do that right now 
on the coast or in Austin, Texas or Nashville, the returns are so compressed that you can come to Columbus and get a much better return. Mm-hmm. We've also seen people from the coast, in particular, we have a venture capital company here that is a bunch of former Sequoia guys that had Ohio roots, and they've now put together about $3 billion worth of funds. They've had some real wins. There's a couple of billion dollar unicorns that have come out of that first fund. You're talking about Drive Capital, yep. Brett? Yeah. Yep. Back to one of our companies ever. Oh, yeah. Sure. Yeah. So that's created a whole ecosystem. As they've had wins, people have come out of there. And so we are now seeing people not just invest from all over the country, but relocate their businesses and, you know, start new things here Mm -hmm. in Columbus. Mm -hmm. It's interesting. Use the words invest where you live. And I think it's, you know, where you live, how you live. These are opportunities for people to take an active role and participate in the world in ways they could not have just a couple of years ago, Mm -hmm. right? So watching buildings get built, watching real estate get developed, watching innovation come to market, hope that there's a solution to the problem they might have with their health. But being able to move the dial Mm -hmm. and make things happen, participate on the inside, I think is something, it's a participatory sport that I think is really a game changer. Mm -hmm. for collaboration because it's unlocking experts and others who can contribute and give that 360 degree feedback that you mentioned earlier, Dan. Yeah. Well, I think the big thing is in some ways it's several new forms of voting. You know, we've always thought of voting purely at election time within, you know, a very, very regulated system, but moving where you want is kind of voting with your feet. Being engaged with certain types of projects is sort of voting with your heart. And the reason why it couldn't happen before were the technology was not there to enable it. I got a belief that teamwork and technology go together. When you have a new form of technology, you can also have a new form of teamwork. And then the teamwork actually triggers new ideas about technology. The thing that I find really interesting is if you just think of, Brett, your collaborations, you know, everything that you're putting together there, it's kind of like a free zone world of its own. And Steve, yours is a free zone world of its own. My vision for the free zone is that almost every entrepreneur in free zone can be at the middle and at the center of a completely separate kind of community on the planet that's for resonant people that you're pulling together in a very focused way, in a very collaborative way, people who are kind of like-minded about certain topics. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think, you know, that's the key piece, that last piece, which is the like-minded about certain topics. You know, what we've been doing is trying to provide that space physically for people who otherwise felt like they had to go somewhere else to find like-minded people. I'm one of those people. That's in part what I do is I solve problems that I'm experiencing myself. So I didn't want to have to go to California. I didn't want to have to wait once a quarter to go to strategic coach. I wanted to be in dialogue with like-minded people. I wanted to be collaborating with like-minded people. And I knew they existed in Columbus, in Ohio, in the Midwest. We just needed to create a space for Mm -hmm. them to come together. And what's coming then of that really does demonstrate just how big 
of a free zone it is yeah. because people are starving for it. They're hungry for mm-hmm. it. They love the energy, the, the passion, the excitement that they get by being in that space, by being in that conversation. And so many things come from it for me and for them. Mm-hmm. And you're right, Dan, the technology, I think you've brought that up a couple of times and I completely agree. This is how we leverage the tech for good, right? It does allow us, when you talk about blockchain, you know, it does really allow for, you know, governance, for transparency, for accountability. I mean, there are technologies that can really be used. We're really leaning into the NFT space Mm -hmm. to create this community. So now all of the art in our projects is digitized. There's opportunities to buy NFTs and get access to events or to get access to individuals in the community, to come on a podcast, to get a one-on-one, to get some coaching, to find an investor. I mean, all of this comes through the technology. Yeah, Dan, I was going to ask you a question related to this point around something you've mentioned a long time ago about talking to check writers themselves and decision makers themselves versus those that report to the check writers, the decision makers. And I know you have long held your own torch towards just only bringing entrepreneurs in and working with entrepreneurs who are the decision makers and check writers themselves, never working with organizations, never taking money Mm -hmm. or trying to get a whole organization to come into strategic coach. Can you talk about the importance of that mindset and more importantly, commitment that has been tested over the years, time and time again, to keep you on point? Because I think that's actually where we are right now, which is not talking to the big company for an investment, but talking to the Mm -hmm. individual. It's sort of a seismic shift, you know, if you think of, you know, where it relates to earthquakes, there's a sudden, you know, thing that just causes a fundamental reordering what's on the surface. And my sense is that we're about 50 years since the microchip really started being talked about. I remember, you know, there was a particular article in the New York Times, 1973, where the author said that the microchip, and it was just called integrated circuit. No, they didn't really have a name for it. And they talked about this microchip. And the author of the article said, two things are going to happen here, that largely the best organizations we've had for the past hundred years are these big pyramidical bureaucracies. And he said, if you think about it, a big bureaucracy is actually a really bad microchip. In other words, you're sending a message from the top and each level of management you go through, the message gets distorted. And at that time, I think in the 70s, GM, for example, at that time, one of the biggest corporations on the planet, they had 19 levels of management between the CEO and the shop floor, the factory floor. And you can imagine every passing on of a message down those 19 levels, the message gets distorted and the feedback gets distorted. But that was the best we could do. We did military that way. We did big government, you know, all the different functions of government that grew up in the 20th century and unions. And everybody thought that way. And what the author was saying, you know, this could all come collapsing down. So I was a copywriter at BBDO at that time. And I said, you know, I really like coaching. 
And what the author is saying is that entrepreneurs are going to be the players of this new shift, that they're kind of marginal creatures now on the outside of the big pyramids, but the pyramids aren't going to be flexible enough. They're not going to be responsive enough, one, to deal with the crises or take advantage of the opportunities. So what I began thinking about in the 1970s was that the entrepreneurs don't want to be managed, but they would like to be coached. You know, athletes are coached, actors are coached, and these are performers. And they want a, you know, an outside reference point to how they're actually playing the game or how they're putting on a show. So that's really where my thinking about this began. And I think it was probably right about the time that you created Startup Health, Mm -hmm. Steve, that I began seeing that we now had about 40 years of this shift. And my sense is that if you approached it directly, it was making individuals very important, but the individuals had to be connected in communities. In other words, that you would self-choose certain communities to be in, and the community would take on the character of its most engaged participants, its most engaged investors. And that's what I saw. Brett has really, really opened the door that this is going to happen in the real estate market because you can talk all you want about virtual property, but real estate, you know, actual physical property is still very, very crucial on the planet. Steve, you focused in on absolutely what I think is going to be the most crucial industry going forward now is that the truth of it is that we've had minimal health care for most of our lives, I think a real transformation is going on. But I think it's going on, what I'm listening to Brett here, is that the kind of project that Brett is leaving, there might be thousands of entrepreneurs on the planet who have a different take on what he's talking about, but they would use the same tools. That's right, Dan. I think what we're seeing is kind of the people taking power in a number of ways, right? We saw this, you know, example with the GameStop situation, right, where there was the kind of big funds, the traditional power was shaken by the people, right? So the people are figuring out how to use the technology, again, to have a power shift, Mm -hmm. right? I mean, we've seen it in politics. We've seen it in the financial markets. And so, you know, we're anticipating that being true for real estate too. And instead of, you know, being kind of hit by it, we're going to just get behind it early Mm. and say, you know, not only do we see it coming, but we think it's a good thing, actually. I actually think that people that currently don't have the money or power have a lot of value to add to what it means to build community. So we want to actually embrace that. We want to support that. We want to open it up so that anyone, anyone can really have access to something that historically was really only for the wealthy and for the powerful. Yeah. Brad, I'll ask you and then I'll ask Steve. Are you noticing that, let's just call them the trades, that are involved in real estate, you know, the actual building, the construction, the design. Do you notice that there's a lot of very, very talented people in that market that are really looking for this new opportunity? Well, yeah, I think that there are people- Architects, planners, designers, Yeah, you know. Yeah, I think anybody who has an attachment to the space 
So you might have built it, you might have designed it, you might live there, you might work there, you might have driven by it, you might just be attached to the the neighborhood, the city. You know, anybody who really wants to be a part of it, who feels some sense of belonging, those are the people that are already invested. They're already invested emotionally, physically, you know, with their skills. So they would like to own it. They would like to have a say Mm -hmm. in it. They would like to be able to benefit from what they've contributed or what they have the ability to contribute. It's actually putting value to those things that historically really haven't been fully honored as the value that they do have the capability of adding. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Same thing in your world, Steve. Most people think about doctors as being the forefront of the healthcare, but there's layer after layer after layer of skill worldwide and new skills being developed because of new technologies. What are you seeing, you know, as you talk, because you you have many different audiences and probably some of your investors include the kind of people who actually have skills related to healthcare, related to breakthroughs in health. What are you seeing as a shifting consciousness about this? Yeah, well, it's interesting. And I mean, no disrespect to people who are employees at organizations when I say that The entrepreneurs and the entrepreneurial mindset of employees in organizations is radically different than people doing their jobs in organizations. And what I find fascinating and I have found fascinating over the last decade has been those individuals in the healthcare industry, doctors, clinicians, and other roles who want to start companies, right? Who want to do something about the problem and work on the problem. And I think the same is now true with those who want to invest in the problem and invest in helping solve the problem. They're more engaged, they're more excited, and they're actually taking responsibility for doing something about it. So they're the good old create or complain. You can't do both at the same time. They're creating. So by investing a couple dollars, by Mm -hmm. taking a leap and starting a company, they're doing something about the problem and they're taking an active role and taking responsibility. And I found that that is the most refreshing type of person to engage with. Mm -hmm. So I'm having a ball now seeing the interest from the industry that want to invest and be a part of the solution, help find them, help the company succeed, help provide feedback, and actually just engage in ways that others who are in large organizations and just the employee roles aren't interested in doing. Or doing for the reasons that are the same, which I think the ones who are writing the checks now or starting the companies now are taking that seriously, that responsibility seriously and seeing Mm -hmm. their role in it in a much more impactful way. Yeah. From my vantage point inside the Free Zone program, I'm looking for models that people are developing quite apart from the existing organization that they're creating and they're transforming. I'm looking for models that are usable to other people. The reason it struck me is that we had a new doctor who came into the 10 times program. So this goes back about three quarters. He came in middle of last summer. He has an orthopedic clinic in Dallas, I think. And he had been a very prominent orthopedic surgeon for NFL teams and for other sports teams. And now he's, you know, he's got his own clinic. I was in a breakout group with him. And he says, yeah, he says, I think we're really approaching it very, very differently. And he said, so I'm thinking we could have 100 clinics 
across the country. And I said, well, it's an interesting thought, but what if even today the 100 clinics that you would want to bring your new knowledge to are already built? They're already functioning. They're just lacking the insight and the transformed way of looking at the future of this. So I'd like to use that as a bouncing off point for you. What is it that you're developing that's in the area of intellectual capital, really, that you have a framework for something that's actually transferable as long as you don't want to own everything? Yeah, I think it's a great question, you know, because I'm in such a kind of physical asset intensive business, you know, we have started to look at, well, how do we actually just apply the intellectual aspects of this business to other things? So one of the things that we're doing is, and Steve and I've talked about this a little bit, is we're investing now in entrepreneurs that kind of will end up taking space in our buildings that will end up, you know, kind of contributing to what we're doing in a collaboration or just have a good idea that we believe is in line with what we're trying to accomplish broadly. And we give them then the coaching and the skills and the support that maybe we didn't always have that we wanted to have and that we like having the experience, you know, all of that is something that we can provide to somebody else for starters, you know, and then there's also the idea that gravity, which is the name of our community, the conscious community in Columbus can really be applied mm -hmm. to anyone's physical asset, right? Mm -hmm. The idea is that we are creating experience, we're creating an opportunity. And that's something that could really be layered onto any physical asset, whether it be ours or somebody else's. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of the next layer for us as we get this community stood up. The first phase is already complete. The second phase is under construction now. In total, it's going to be 25 to 30 acres of urban infill development that creates this conscious neighborhood. And it'll be the largest neighborhood of its size, probably in the country. And that is something we think intellectually can really scale to other assets. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the startup health model, just the idea, and you've had 10 years of developing and transforming the model. I'm not asking you to do this the next quarter, Steve. <laughs> I always tell people entrepreneurs don't go crazy because of their goals. They go crazy because of their deadlines. So my sense is that as you're developing the actual physical reality with you know, the 360 organizations plus the 26 countries, that's physical. These companies actually exist in space. There's real human beings. But there's an intellectual model, it seems to me, that's developing out of this, especially now that you put the investment model. I mean, you were always dependent upon large organizations for small organizations. And now I think you've broken out of the mold of that. It's the ultimate of the free zone model of collaboration, right? Which is how do you bring people who have a collaborative mindset and are willing to and committed to collaborating together to do some things that neither one of them could do on their own? And so when you start to think about the marketplace, so to speak, of both sides of the equation, the entrepreneur and the investor, and giving them the room and space, safe space, to collaborate where each can bring what they both do to the table, I think the unexpected outcome is a better result for both sides, right? Mm -hmm. So I think the entrepreneurs get more 
interested and engaged investors. The investors have a much more open dialogue with their investments or the companies they invest in. One of the things that we've thought a lot about is, and we've built up all these member benefits for entrepreneurs and startup health over the last decade, but we never really thought about the same for investors until recently. And we started thinking about all the things that we do already for investors. Every week we send a newsletter out telling them about all the progress that the companies they invested in are making. Every week we send out deal alerts for additional investment opportunities from the existing companies that are raising capital or doing great things. We give them chance once a month to see a showcase of the companies presenting and engage and ask questions to the entrepreneurs. And a whole host of these things that are just incredibly unique for an investor who's interested in not just looking at a statement of value of their portfolio, but actually taking a, an engaged opportunity to help those companies succeed. And we're seeing an interest in doing that. And so I think the engaged investor, the engaged entrepreneur in a platform where they both can connect with each mm -hmm. other is incredibly powerful. Mm -hmm. And I get more excited by the day by the kinds of people who are showing up to this landing page at healthmoonshots.com to inquire or invest in our new subscription mm -hmm. fund, the Startup Health Moonshots mm -hmm. Fund. And in particular, those that are looking for certain types of companies, we have investors who are looking for companies that are focused on diabetes or companies that are focused on breast cancer, companies that are focused on Alzheimer's disease, and taking a real interest, not in just the outcome, but the impact that the companies are making. So mm -hmm. double bottom line, impact and financial return is a really interesting new thing that I think even a couple of years ago, definitely a decade ago, wouldn't have even been on the radar of most investors. Yeah. I may not have shared this in all our coaching workshops, but historically I've had five role models, historic role models, individuals who were foundation builders. And first one was Euclid, who was the Greek, nobody really knows that much about him, about 2,300 years ago, who put together all the foundations of geometry. I mean, probably the most influential writer in history because there's great religious books, but knowing what a right angle is and knowing how to get a real circle in that is actually quite important to the physical environment. And then the next one was Shakespeare, who I think is probably the greatest psychological thinker ever, you know, in terms of his understanding of human nature. Bach, who is, you know, I think just took notes from God when he wrote his music, you know, it was just straight down. The fifth one is Edison. I grew up about two miles from his birthplace in Northern Ohio. But the fourth one's really interesting is James Madison, who is really the architect of the U.S. Constitution. And I think over the last year, Americans have really seen how wise the structure of the U.S. is because it's kind of fractal. You have the federal government and then each of the states is like a little U.S. government, you know, it matches level for level, function by function at the state level, but they have all sorts of freedom of operation. For example, we don't have in Canada, you know, the rules come out and they're national rules, whereas in the U.S., the president could say anything he wanted, Dr. Fauci could say anything he wanted, but it was basically up to the governors whether they were going to do it that way. And my sense is that this whole notion of a intellectual model, but executed differently in different places and getting away from standardization. I think a lot of our problems 
probably in the last 50 years, if you think about healthcare, if you think about just governance, is because of the standardization that one model is what we're going to do and everybody's going to follow the model. It seems to me that what you're doing, Brett, and also Steve, that what you're doing is you're starting at the center of a different kind of idea and you're building outwards. And this takes on a different form. Okay. So it's not standardized. It's not top down. It's from a center and it goes outward. That's what I'm seeing happening a lot. It's very interesting. Your cousin, Howard Getson, was the moderator for Genius Network two weeks ago. And Steve, he did a fantastic job. Mm -hmm. He did an unbelievable job. And he had a I don't know if he's your cousin, but he had brought in another cousin who's a professor on Lincoln. That is, that's his other first cousin, Matthew Pinsker. Matthew Pinsker yes. came in yeah. and talked about Lincoln. I brought up a question when he was talking about it. I said, it seems to me that Lincoln kind of represents something that's inside the U.S. system, and that is there's a feeding system. You get new congressmen, you get new senators. But the president seems to be a wild card. You bring him in, you give him a lot of influence, but you regulate how much time that person can be in. But Howard, of course, is really going way beyond what his original intention was with an AI-generated hedge fund. And now he's talking about AI, say, applied to gravity, AI applied to startup health, AI applied to the free zone. And that's where Howard's thinking is going. So what's your own thinking about that? Because my sense is that we can all get as powerful as we can manage. I've got a, a simple rule that as long as you can manage, you can be that big, you can be that powerful. And there's kind of a limit to what you can do where you're depending on just humans, but you can also bring in artificial intelligence to handle a lot of the management and the flexibility that you build in. By the way, do you have any more? Yeah, I know. Right? <laughs> By the way, we all spawned from the same two sisters a couple generations ago, both of our grandmothers. But I digress. I got to tell you, artificial intelligence, the biggest impact it can make is on freeing us up from our day to day. And it's interesting. There's been a whole host of new email companies coming out to help with writing emails and just freeing our days up so that we're not caught up in minutiae, non-unique ability kinds of things. And I think there is a parallel impact from artificial intelligence being able to help free us up from very small day-to-day minutiae all the way to the big impactful things that are going to change mm -hmm. industries, reading medical records, helping find undiagnosed things in people's charts and lab results. And we're seeing it across dozens upon dozens of our companies applying it in ways that are going to change, significantly change how and what we expect from products and services going forward, especially in healthcare. So I, yeah, I mean, I think artificial intelligence is a game changer, but I don't think it is just at the company yeah. level. I think it's actually at our personal level and, and individual level on a day-to-day -day basis as well. Yeah. I'm going to come at it from a different direction with you, Brett, and I'm just going to ask about one of the impediments for the development of you know, actually physical community is zoning for a lot of people. It's like a labyrinth of going through zoning. 
And I'm just wondering whether you see any breakthroughs in what you're doing where you develop almost a groundswell of public support for a particular project. Usually it goes the other way. You have a plan and you go to the officials and you get it approved, but you seem to be starting at the ground level and working outwards. Yes, thank you for saying that. I've kind of talked a little bit about how we're providing opportunities for so many people. And, you know, I don't want to make this sound like it's a total selfless business. This is not a nonprofit. We see a lot of benefit by taking the approach that we take, including monetarily. You know, we think that we're going to have more value in our properties by providing more opportunities for other people. And the same is true from a zoning standpoint. And not just from a zoning standpoint, but from a deal flow standpoint, and I'm sure, Steve, you see this too, but because we're taking the approach that we take, because we're focused on wellness, because we're focused on innovation, impact, you know, this is creative expression, because we focus on that, the people that sit on those commissions are also supportive of it. They want to be engaged in it. They're a part of it. They're attending our events. And so they know who we are. They know what we're going to build. And it allows us to see deals, to get approvals. And I want to go back to something else that you said about kind of the structure of our government. It's kind of almost a little bit overwhelming to think about how that structure holds up today, right? All these years later still holds up today. It's very difficult to create new structures that are going to have that kind of a hold. Yet, I think that's what the technology is really starting to allow us to do it. And we've seen it in recent years, as you see Uber disrupt the taxi industry, as you see some of the other massive disruptions that we've seen, social media, mobile technology, what Steve's doing, what we're doing, I believe this is a part of that power shift, a part of that Mm -hmm. disruption that creates new systems that will hold up. Some of the old systems will not, and some of the new ones really will, but it does take something pretty substantive at the right time with the right tools and the tech being one to really create new systems. I think it's early, Dan. Yeah. I just want to throw in a pitch that really the most talked about part of the U.S. Constitution is the Bill of Rights, which are the first 10 amendments. This was actually written by the opposition so that there was, you know, one of the things when the country started, there were 13 operating governments that decided to give up powers in order to be part of something bigger. So you had the 13 colonies. They had just, in one way or another, had come together unified to fight a war. They had freed themselves of outside rule. And then there's a whole notion that you were going to have a federal government and it was going to have a lot of power. And a lot of people really objected. Didn't we just fight a war to avoid this? So what they made certain demands, and Madison wasn't the originator of this, but he collected them all, and he put it into the first 10 amendments, you know, the first one, right of speech, right of assembly. My friend in North Carolina, who's a congressman, he often talks about the second amendment, which is the most controversial amendment because it's the right to bear arms. And he said, I want to tell you, you don't have the first amendment unless you got the second amendment. And he said, you know, you have to defend those. And the government's got to know that there's a limit to the violence that can use arbitrarily against the citizens. And 
why I think the U.S. is really unique in this fashion. But what I'm seeing, and we'll wrap up this podcast, and I'd like to go further with another podcast and talk about the certainty-uncertainty tool, because I've discovered all sorts of new dimensions about the certainty-uncertainty tool as a vehicle for creating the type of organizations that you're talking about. But my sense is that you got to have really good rules for creating these type of communities, and the rules have to be very resilient. They have to be very durable so that everybody knows the rules. It's not conformity. It's just agreeing that if we're going to play this type of game, these are the kind of rules. So to finish off our podcast here, what have you learned that came as a surprise about how you have to structure these bottom-up communities that's very, very different from what you thought it was going to be? Steve, I'll start with you, and then I'll finish up with Brett. It's the word participation. I think the idea that we're looking for an engaged community to help, not just invest, not just raise their hand, but actually participate in the transformation, in the project, and a community that's engaged in doing, I think is not just a completely different type of community, but in particular, I think we're in a unique moment in time. I said a few moments ago, it's really early. I think this is the early days of being able to use crowdfunding and invest in things like subscription funds and rolling funds like Startup Health is doing with its Moonshot Fund, like Brett is doing with these real estate projects. And I think the idea that every quarter we're going to learn what works and what doesn't work, who's helpful and who's not, and evolve and iterate accordingly is a really exciting mm-hmm way to grow over the next 25 years. Yeah. Brett? Yeah. You know, what strikes me, Dan, is you've always said, you know, your eyes only see and your ears only hear, you know, what the mind is looking for, right? You know, what I've found is that when we come at things with our minds and our brains and our experiences and our views, we're only seeing a part of the picture. You know, on our first phase of gravity, we did a focus group with kind of a whole host of different people from the neighborhood and from the city, all different backgrounds. And when we came out of that group, we threw out the architecture and totally started all over. We had an architect from San Francisco who is this star architect, big deal. We totally started over because we were only seeing a piece of the puzzle. We weren't Mm -hmm. seeing the full picture. So that's probably been the biggest learning for me is that there's so much value in having the group think and having the collaborative thinking that the whole is so much better. That said, we have a vision. And so we hold to our vision. We drive to that vision mm-hmm. because there can be, you know, too much think in the room too. Mm-hmm. And so we're convicted, we're passionate, we know who we are, we know what we want to do, what we're trying to achieve, who we want to be a hero to, and we stick to that, but we get a holistic opinion mm-hmm. and cooperation in driving the end result. Mm-hmm. One of the things I'm zeroing in more and more is the very, very resilient intellectual model that people have for what they're doing. So in both your cases, I got a lot of new material to think about, about um, what really constitutes a very resilient intellectual model. In other words, once you establish it, it just develops and grows. It doesn't conflict with itself on the inside. 
Well, yeah. I'll, one takeaway I had, which I had no idea, is that Steve and Howard Getson are cousins. <laughs> <laughs> Howard is actually today's guest on the Gravity Podcast, a shameless plug, but he shares a side of his life, which Steve, maybe you know, but I don't think many know, and it's awesome. And I love Howard, and it's great to know you guys are actually related. But more importantly, you know, I think Steve said it's early. And I think that's, you know, kind of what strikes me, you know, in this conversation is it is, it's so early when we're talking about the kinds of shifts that we're talking about, it's very, very early stage. And, you know, just play the long game, be patient and be in the room, right, where these conversations are happening. I learn so much every time I'm in a Dan Sullivan room or with somebody from Coach or Genius, you know, in the Gravity community, just being in the room and embracing that this is early, play the long game but gather the information and start to do something with it, you know, is always a great reminder for me. I forget sometimes that not everybody's doing and thinking what we're doing and thinking. So this is a great reminder, very inspired by what Brett is doing, but a really great reminder about the uniqueness of what we're both doing. We're all doing around this idea of collaborative innovation and participatory investing and engaging with people beyond just an investment or a customer or a client. And I think it's a really exciting way to grow, fun. And thanks for the reminder, Dan, because sometimes I forget, you know, not everybody's already thinking and moving the way we are. So this is great. How about from you, Dan? Yeah, mine was to zero in on the intellectual models, you know, that people are creating. You know, we've got some great models from history, you know, the elements of geometry were put together in 300 BC and nature only really, really respects 90 degree right angle. If it's like this, nature's going to bring it down and you have to realize there are laws of gravity in all worlds. And so you know, I'm going to be thinking about that in terms of developing the free zone frontier. What's really solid that you're doing right now that you know can last? You've tested it. I think people are looking for solid foundations. A lot has not worked over the last year because of the COVID. And who can you depend upon? Oftentimes, the people you can depend upon most aren't the people who were appointed to be in charge of something. They're the people who actually created something brand new. Brett, great being with you today. Great being with both of you, as always. Thank you very much for having me.